Thank you for joining us. This is Paul Wilson. And Chris Hemke. You're listening to the Diesel Performance Podcast. Uh, from Facebook is a segment we do where we pull off the messages you guys send us on our Facebook page. And now also you can send messages directly to WC Fab. Uh, WC Fab has been gracious enough to sponsor yeah. this segment. We really appreciate that. They're keeping the roof over our heads. Right? <laughs> uh, if you want to help out the podcast, you can always reach out to our sponsors like WC Fab, Exergy, and Duramax Tuner. Of course, WC Fab is our number one resource for twin turbo kits, S300, S400 install kits, traction bars, all things fabricated and powder coated. Pretty much. Really is. Uh, Jacob Martinez sent in a message this this week, maybe even today. Maybe he sent this like an hour ago. Damn, we're on top of it. Yeah, yeah. I am replying to you now, Jacob. All right, he says, hey, guys, I listen to your podcast weekly. I'm a diesel tech at a cat dealer in California. I'm looking to buy my first diesel within the next month or so. My question, what do you think of the 6.7 Cummins? From what I have read, the engine is pretty decent, but the trans is pretty bad. What have you guys seen? I'm open to a Duramax and also a Power Stroke, but focused on the Cummins mostly. Sorry, I had to scroll there. Uh, from what I have, I'm sorry, hold on. Oh. I do know the 68 RFE is bad, but how do I moderate, but how bad I only do moderate towing and just some daily driving. Okay. Six, seven Cummins, 68 RFE. This is our wheelhouse, Chris. Yeah. We're into this. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to get into, well, to kind of touch on the third gen six sevens, there, are, there is some trans support out there uh, through some different tuning softwares. There is a separate TCM on those transmissions, so you can have some help. Otherwise, if you get yourself into a four gen, <clears throat> You know, pretty much all the custom tuning options out there can support transcals for that truck. Um, those transmissions, I mean, I think they get a really bad rap in the marketplace. They do. Um, are they as nice as some of the competitors? No, they're not. I mean, just reality, it is what it is. But at the same time, with some help of calibrations, I, I think that they're proving themselves to be somewhat reliable and, and somewhat, you know. 68 RFE. Okay, you're more on the forums. Is the complaint more on reliability or drivability? I think it's more the reliability aspect and the – I mean, it's a 50-50 mix. Because for right? all the customers <clears throat> I've worked with on tuning, I can't remember one of them calling back to tell me that they smoked no, their 68 RFE. No, I mean, definitely not. I what think... I see is guys throw a high-pressure valve body plate if you're before 2014 or early 15, or you do a valve a, a valve body from RevMax mm -hmm. on the 15 to 18s. And then other than that, like you said, you throw good trans tunes on it. I think I haven't had guys have problems. I think, and that's where I was kind of leading to this, is like the 68s, if you're looking for a nice daily driver, something to tow on the weekends, and you're looking to make, you know, four to 500 horse, I think the 68s are a phenomenal trans. I think I they're going to be reliable. They're going to do well. Nothing to worry about. Once you get past that type of power level, I feel like you're going to start to run into some issues. Yes, there are companies out there that offer some really badass transmissions, such as RevMax. But the flip side of that is, is are they as reliable as a built Fortrans or a built Allison or a built 47 or 48? Well, I mean, the market's proven that it's not. Yeah, I mean, the Ford, honestly, like you probably don't even have to build it unless yeah. you're over seven or 800 yeah, horsepower. Exactly. I mean, that, that's a badass trans. That, that really, it's hard to be. As much as I'm a Duramax fan yeah. and I love love the Allison, um, it's hard to be. And, you know, like uh, you know, like he had wrote in, you know, he's a Caterpillar technician. So he's working on inline engines pretty much all day long. I see the value or why he's in, it's enticing to do a Cummins. I wouldn't you be know? scared off of a Cummins because no. of the 68. I, I pr personally wouldn't do an ASIN because I don't know when ASIN tuning is going to be out. Mm -hmm. They haven't been terribly problematic. They're no. not great with high horsepower unless you're really 
in tune with how to drive a trans that's about to break. Um, and they're kind of expensive. So I personally wouldn't do the ASIN. I would do the 68. I wouldn't do a manual mostly because I'm lazy, not because I think there's anything wrong with the current manual transmissions from Cummins. Uh, that's just, just my pure, utter laziness. I would say, you know, look for a Ford Gen Dodge, you know, and just call it a day. I think that's a really good you know, yeah. choice of a truck. And if you weren't going to do that, I don't think there's any problem going with any of your LML. Uh, if you're going to do a 6.7 power stroke, either 12 to 14 and plan on a turbo swap or just do a 15 to newer and get the yeah. badass turbo. 17, I think, is the best turbo. Ball, no budget. That's it. Yep. That's it. Don't worry about putting fuel in it. Just have the truck. All right. Um, <laughs> I'm going to jump over here to Exergy's do's and don'ts. Uh, Exergy is actually what inspired us to kind of change up the format a little yeah. bit here and have some different segments. They gave us these really good just kind of advice for our listeners. And obviously being our high-pressure common rail fuel injection system yeah. supplier, so in other words, any injectors from sportsmen's to 250% over 500% or whatever nonsense yeah. you need. Uh, they're the only people that we will go to for that stuff. I love the do's and don'ts. I get really, you know, I, I've learned something new at times too, when I'm reading, you know, we have the show notes and I'm like, huh, okay. Yeah. You know, no thought about shit. It. So, you know, let's dive into it, Paul. What's the do this month or Ooh. this week? Oh, I like it. Flipping yeah. this up. Okay. Uh, Exergy's do for this week. Do check your balance rates before replacing your injectors. This came up on the phone for me. Okay. Uh, I had a, a guy call in. Obviously, I'm I'm not taking as many phone calls right. now, but I grabbed one. And guy called in, and he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm in the middle of pulling my injectors. He had some questions about injector lines and cups yeah. and all of this for his LB7. And I asked him, I was like, well, how bad were the balance rates before you pulled them? He wanted to get honing. And he's like, well, I never checked the balance rates. He said, I, I had a haze at idle, and I heard a lope, so I pulled the injectors. Mm. And I'm like... Just my body cringe where I'm like, man, that's a that's a big gamble. Like here we're very data driven. So mm -hmm. when it comes down to diagnostics and like making sure, especially before a 16 to 26 hour LB7 injector job, I'm going to know what I need new injectors. Yep, absolutely. Um, with him, it's been a couple of weeks now. The injectors came out. All of them, but one were actually fine. So one of them was bad. Got full cleaning, uh, did a real slight honing. I think he took it to 30%, got them all back nice. in the truck, and then found out he actually had a regulator issue, yep. which may have been the cause of what the he was thing. seeing all the way the around, thing, right? Yeah. So, like, yeah, it, it it's definitely one of those just be precise. Absolutely. The, they're precision parts. Yep. Be precise when you're diagnosing them. Well, I'll take on the don't. Don't be fooled by Bosch Reman. You know, we get this a lot at the shop. So common. You know, oh, I just, you know, uh, I, I had LB7 injectors. I did them two years ago. How many miles are on the truck? 20,000 miles. Why are the injectors bad? Well, what kind of injectors did you put on them? Oh, Bosch Remans. Well, that, that doesn't mean anything because the bodies are Bosch. They're Bosch injectors. Who remanned them? Where right. did they get rebuilt? Who did the testing? Who did the balancing? Who did the work? Well, you know. O'Reilly's. O'Reilly's. I got it's them from always, Napa. It's always you know? fucking O'Reilly's. And it's always you know, guys, guys need to keep in mind that they're Bosch bodies. There's the Bosch reman. That's where it comes into play. They're a rebuilt, remanufactured injector. Right. Bosch body. That's where the Bosch reman comes in. You want to be very, very careful on where the injectors are coming from. If you're paying a couple hundred dollars on an injector, chances are they're not going to last long. And it's not just who did it, right? No. Because it's also what materials yep. do they use? They put new nozzles on these. There's different metallurgy yep. that holds up to different heat tolerances that plays a difference in how long yep. it's going to last at 
2,000 degrees Fahrenheit in the combustion cylinder. Like, be smart, man. No, when you talk about the reman ejectors, you know, more importantly, common rail with how high the pressure is, you know, there's heat buildup, like you said. So making sure that it's a genuine Bosch nozzle, making sure that, you know, the components that are going into the bodies, because I mean, when injectors start to haze, the bodies are worn. So everything inside the body is going to be replaced. And again, genuine parts. That's quality it. Quality parts. So That's, it. That's why we getting, only go to Axergy for yeah, them. Know where you're getting your stuff from. Absolutely. Uh, we actually are going to be covering a new product release. But before we dive into that with Nick Pregnitz, I had just a couple of things. Number one, I was reading through the most recent issue of Diesel Power Magazine. If you haven't checked it out, make sure you go in and read it. They had some really awesome articles uh, this month. We're getting really excited, Chris, because coming up uh, June 3rd through the 7th, we're going to be out in Denver. Denver. I can't wait. I just want to tell you, like... I've never been to Colorado. I'm excited. UCC, we're doing May 4th, 5th, 4th, 5th, 6th. And then June 3rd through the 7th, we're going to be in Denver. We're hitting the two biggest diesel events of the year. Back to back. Literally within 30 days. I'm also going on a week vacation in between. Oh, wow. Look um, at you, man. Some guys just have all the luck. I'm a world traveler. I don't Dude, know if you know that about me. The little me. guys like me, I can't even skip work for a day. No, you can't. Dude, Nick has my balls in a vice when I do shit like that. on the phone, fucker. Um, <laughs> okay. Also, I just wanted to give you a couple of quick updates from the magazine. Uh, they had an 18 Equinox diesel that KJ, who's yeah. been on the show before, yeah. editor of Diesel Power Magazine, 1.6 liter Ecotech with a six-speed manual transmission. Dude, badass. I went back Five and listened to the Nicola Menarini yeah. episode recently. I needed a, an excerpt on EGTs out of it. And I remember him telling us over a year ago that when they released this 1.6 liter, they were going to put manual transits at the time. The implication, at least the topic we were on, we all thought that just meant the cruise. Yep. I no, never totally. in a million years thought they'd put a manual transmission into an Equinox. I actually think that's really fucking cool. Yeah. Uh, it was 30 plus miles to the gallon. I don't remember the exact notes, but you can read through KJ's article. It's like yeah. the first page of the, of how, the uh, edition. How about $100,000 Super Duty? Come, yeah, come like, the fuck dude. out, guys. Who the fuck, man? I just, and honestly, like now if you have it, I feel like all the other Super Duty guys should kind of hate on you a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Like just not like, or you just know you're better than them. Not enough to go scratch his his truck. Like don't no, go scratch no, his don't truck. Go fuck stuff but up. just don't don't yeah don't be cool with him either. Fuck him. Uh, yeah. No, it's really cool. I, I I checked it out. I looked at the pictures. Um, it was cool. They will never get my hundred thousand dollars. What hundred grand? Well, I mean, like over my lifetime that I'll make over the next twenty years, and I add up my total yearly income to a hundred. Uh, they won't get any of that money. No, fuck no. No, no, no. Uh, the Volkswagen debacle has cost an estimated $30 billion. Thank you, Volkswagen. <laughs> you you are a part of that. I am, yeah. You are a part of that. They paid me. Yeah. <laughs> you fools. Um, I heard a really good story about that one. That's actually why I put that note down. I think you told it to me about the guy who tried to take his buyback in yeah, with like- with nothing. With got nothing. Gutted the car, yeah. That was like a big thing on social media, a lot of sharing and stuff. Yeah. He literally gutted everything out of the car. He drove the car into Volkswagen on a milk crate. No head unit, no interior, no nothing, no trunk lid, no doors, nothing. It was already and there was such nothing a good in the deal. five print, in the fine print. There was nothing right. in the fine print, and that's what this jagoff did. I just like you're already getting such a yeah, good deal on yeah. that buyback. Everybody who got the buyback like pretty much made money, yep, right? No, like nobody money. got hosed. No, no one got hosed. I mean, not my car <laughs> had two hundred thousand miles, and I made money. Yeah, like, thousands. Yeah, ridiculous. So, thank you, VW. Yeah, thirty billion dollars well spent. Yeah. Um, 
Chevy, bring it back to 4,500 and 5,500 again. that you home. We'll be in the Silverado that family. That you home. Some of you may know me from, from Duramax Forum as C4500 Paul. <laughs> um, this guy drove, okay, so. Because I'm long, a badass. Short story long, as the guy over at the shop <laughs> likes to say, you you and Nick went and bought a box truck, a 4,500 box truck. Nick went and bought a truck. box truck. Okay, and then you bought it from him. Yes. And you cut the box out so it was just a wooden flatbed. Like, yes. hillbilly hill rod is shit. No, couldn't di- Couldn't diagnose the truck to save your fucking life. Classy. <laughs> right? Nah, yeah, you did. You did. It's cool. And you know what? It, it was a good daily. You had fun in that thing. I did. Yeah, I did. That Actually, was a perfect party um, barge. Yeah, it was. I, I lived in an apartment at the time, an upstairs apartment. So we it, we called it our rolling deck yep. uh, because we would go down and hang out and like grill next to the truck and hang out Dude, on the back of the truck. So Southside Chicago. Um, <laughs> so and it's like so Chicago. small town. Yep. It's, it's unreal. Yep. Uh, yeah, we had a lot of fun yeah. in that truck. So I am excited to see the 4,500, 5,500. The new, the new, new Silverados. The new they're, era. They're not going to call them top kicks. Nice. Yeah. So classy. Cool. Uh, all right. And then before we dive into this interview with Mr. Pregnitz, we actually have Phil Grandinetti. Phil, how the hell are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, Phil, you're the shop manager over at Duramax Tuner Calibrated Power. Yes, I am. You've been there for some time. You also did quite a bit of work on the Apache. I think that's when I first was introduced to you as you were doing the wiring job in the original Apache project. Yeah, a lot of the um, mounting of the body and, and the, the building of the chassis the frame and a lot of the the preliminary stuff was done by me with Brett over at uh, precision gotcha yeah. and then and then everything you guys touched you now have had your text that work for you go back and redo it correctly exactly no, just, <laughs> I, I say this because dj i think it was dj was in here talking about doing the wiring or maybe it was justin i caught him on, on one of the breaks talking about doing the wiring and the apache i'm like i thought I thought that's how I met Phil, was doing the wiring on the Apache. No, actually, I didn't do any of the wiring. Oh, you didn't do the wiring? No. Okay. No, I, I, no actually, uh, Owen did most of it. Oh, DJ that makes too. sense. DJ did a bunch that of it. Sense. That was his, like, yep. yeah. that was his hazing when he first started. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That All was right. his initiation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Now, Phil, we had talked uh, just a little bit about an interesting story we had from a customer's truck that came in recently. Can you kind of walk our listeners through it a little bit? Give me the outline. Sure. sure. I received a call about a week ago. Customer uh, had one of our transmissions, a DT750 in his truck, uh, that we had installed. He drove the truck for almost a year. And he called me and said it was erratic shifting. It was shifting hard, shifting erratically, and it just happened all of a sudden. And uh, so we had asked him to bring it in. We brought it in. We diagnosed it. We really couldn't find anything wrong with it. There were no codes, um, nothing to lead us to believe there was anything wrong other than we did a, uh, a relearn on it, did a tuning update, started driving it. Because we didn't find anything significantly wrong with it, we wanted to drive it and make sure there, there had to be something else going on. So we drove it. We drove it for almost a week and I got in it, ran an errand, got out for five minutes, got back in and started up, and it was the shifting was terrible again, just as soon as I started the truck. Um, so we brought it back to the shop, same thing, no codes, nothing to lead us to anywhere as far as diagnostics were concerned. So we started looking into what are the possibilities, what could be wrong with it, what could cause this. And it came down to an improperly installed fast pump. What? What? What happened? They had installed the uh, ignition feed lead that energizes the the relay for the pump, uh, 
in a port on the underhood fuse panel, and they had used a, a, a fuse tap, the style tap where the blade rides alongside or parallel to the blade on the fuse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a very unreliable way to do that, number one. And it was causing, and the other connections on the circuit were bad, and it was causing a, a, a loose connection type of scenario where it's kind of making and breaking, but you end up with either noise on the circuit, uh, which is static, or a make and break type of thing where it's on and off. Okay. And an on and off is going to cause a voltage spike, which will uh, which will reset the TCM. Nope. And it was resetting the adapts on the, on the TCM, so the transmission would start sh- uh, shifting erratically or harshly. No shit. So it was actually resetting the taps on the TCM, and then, of course, that's causing it to, like, not have any memory, so it's shifting like shit to get started. And then how long were the intervals where it would run well? Was it just random? Because he went 20,000 miles the first time. Oh, Jesus. And and I don't know when the FAST system was installed. That was done since we had done the transmission. Okay. So I, at what point that was installed, I don't know. Right. Um, but it just leads me to another point is that uh, our customers and, and our listeners should understand that that under hood fuse panel isn't just a, a regular fuse panel it's a control module it's actually turning taking commands turning circuits on and off on its own independently from any other module in the in the truck right on the lmls especially that's what we should state that this is an lml okay and uh, so be very careful when you're installing aftermarket equipment on your truck that you can't just tap into any circuit under uh, in that fuse panel it's it's just not a good idea you got to be careful where you install it and use a proper fuse tap that's incredible who would have thought <clears throat> yeah right because that's i feel like that's one of those like i'm at home i opened up my my chest and i'm yeah. like okay well what's what's in here that i can use i just got to tap this fuse real yeah. quick like I would totally shortcut that and just grab what I had available instead of like make a special run for just to be like ah it'll be fine. Yeah, I would and and it was sure. for a certain amount of time. Yeah, <laughs> whatever that interval was, we don't know, right? Because you know, but but it did start acting up and it did start having problems and it be, and obviously it was happening more frequently because it happened to us after right. a couple of days of driving it. So yeah. at least we were able to find it. And yeah. you guys did it in a good amount of time too. Yeah, we found it and uh, I drove it for another two three days afterwards and it's fine. That's yeah. awesome. See, it reminds me of that Exergy story about like properly diagnose yep. what you're doing before you jump in and just start doing it because. Tearing the trans out of the truck, even though the trans was the problem, wasn't going to fix anything. You could have dropped that trans, torn the whole thing apart, looked at it because of improper shifting, and it had nothing to do with yeah. what the actual issue is. You got to properly diagnose that truck first. Correct. Yeah, and we did. We, I mean, we looked at pressures. You know, we hooked up the pressure gauge to it. We double checked and triple checked that transmission to make sure that that could not be the possibility, or that there was no possibility of that being the issue. Right. And then, it, 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 you know, you narrow it down. You have to look at all the possible uh, scenarios for that problem to happen. And you just have to narrow it down as possibilities and then pursue something, you know, and start looking in other areas. You got to think outside the box sometimes. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I dig it. Thank you so much for joining us today, Phil. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, <laughs> not, thanks, man. <laughs> not a problem. We're going to kick you out of this seat, and we're actually going to grab Nick Pregnitz yeah, of Duramax Tuner right now. Nick, how the hell are you? Doing great, man. Glad to be back. It's been a little while. Yeah, yeah no kidding. 
No kidding. You're only but like, you guys have been slamming. Yeah. You're only like a block down the street too. You know, you can stop and say hi. Dude, <laughs> you're like a you know you're you're uh, a celebrity now. I, I gotta uh, get invited to come down here. That's true. I guess we should uh, invite you down more often then, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Nick, last time. I don't even remember what we talked about last time, if I could be honest. You've been on the show so many times. Wasn't it the conversion month? Conversion Maybe month. Maybe it was. Man, that was How a popular all the way back episode. In August. That was. Give me a little credit here, Paul. That was. That was that was kind of a big one. Uh, time flies when you're having fun, Paul. Yeah. 58 Apache, Duraburb, Scottsdale. We talked about all of that. We did. We have talked about UCC before. We've talked about LML towing before. Um Power yep. the the power recipes. Power He's done recipes. A couple of those yep. are the, the the goal. The the budget builds. No the man's builds. land. Yep. No, no man's, man's land. land. That, that was, was a good fun. One. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You've been on a lot. I, I dig it. Uh, it's always one of those where when we come up for something new or when we need somebody really detail orientated or really technical, we kind of go and get Nick. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Obviously, all the Gail Banks ones and all that, a lot of fun, too. So today we were kind of talking about what to cover tonight and. Uh, the discussion of what's going on at Duramax Tuner came up with the new line of turbos that are coming out. Now, we have not announced these turbos officially. Uh, I think you referenced them in one of the videos of a month, a couple months ago. Yeah, we've been teasing them out a little bit. Yeah. So, so we'll call this the official release of the Stealth 67 G2. The official leak. The podcast. The official leak. That's it. Yeah, that's, that's what it, it is. Yeah, it's like it. a mixtape. Well, you know, we're all just scumbag paparazzi anyways. Um... <laughs> but but what that means is we we really want to just get our listeners some some really good technical information about these turbos. Obviously, we've been talking about a, a lot uh, at the office. Yeah, I thought it'd be a good time to kind of walk us through maybe why get into a new line of turbos. The Stealth 64 has been doing really well. The Stealth 64 has been a really popular product for us. Uh, really strong growth over the past two years. Um, the product itself has matured and has, you know, we continue to add improvements to the product, uh, even not vocally, you know, e- even just, just in our operation and processing. Um, but we've been, we've learned a lot about turbocharging over the past two years and we've really uh, sunk a lot of that knowledge back into the product. And I think, you know, this year, in order to set a challenge for ourselves to set that new benchmark, we had to come out with that new product. We had to go with the G2, the 67 G2. And uh, I'm excited for it, man. I like it. I like it. Okay, so just that kind of drive of, like, what's next? Like, we did this. We did this really well. We feel like we're, we're really solid mm-hmm. here. But the motivation behind this is just kind of what else is out there, right? Yeah, yeah. The uh, the 67 – I should start with the 64. So the 64 um, started with the Stealth 64 on the <laughs> LB7 side. Um, and then matured into the VVT side, and then you know it's a product where we're going on the compressor, we're going on the um, turbine, we're massaging the turbine, we're making edits there, and all the while we're kind of cataloging the differences in the turbochargers, um, putting our best case scenario forward for like a year from now. You know what do we want this thing to turn into? And the LB7 64 uh, G2 was a product that took advantage of some of those benefits, mm-hmm. right? So. <laughs> We saw the 64 G2 on the i-high side and the LB7 side pick up a, a bigger turbine. So we had a custom-made turbine for that turbocharger. Um, the machining, the wastegate play, um, all these little things that we picked up uh, over the course of those past two years on the on the Cell 64 on the LB7, we we rolled that into like, what do we want to see as the next best thing? And that, that 64 G2 is an ass-kicking turbocharger. Mm-hmm. Like, it is one of my favorite turbos to drive. Uh, and I'm, I'm excited for that. <laughs> I'm still excited over that one. Okay, that thing hasn't even grown legs yet. Like once once we get more of those in the marketplace, you're going to see some people really start to 
a devout followership to that turbocharger. Like as far as a turbo that's well matched to a stock long block truck, phew, nice. Right there. Um, so my goal on the 67 side is to sacrifice as little drivability as possible. The 64 G2 drives so nice to take that drivability and to give the customer that 750 plus horsepower range where the G264 is limited at 640. So it's a big challenge. Another 100 horsepower plus, right? Right. So we had to go to a bigger turbine yet. Bigger turbine, I mean, the the iHi housing only has so much room, Mm -hmm. and the bearing pack only has so much. So we're kind of like, there's a lot of constraints we're up against. It's it's that wall where you feel like you have three arms and they're each on one on one <laughs> wall, right? That room where like, hey, I better open a door pretty soon in here. It's getting kind of full. Um, that's that's really what the LB7 turbocharger feels like for us now. And the uh, I mean, you, Chris, you've been for riding the Apache. Yeah, we um, went out the other day. Uh, yeah, yeah. So you know what the drivability is like on the on the 67 G2. Mm-hmm. Um, Really strong response. Top end pull is there. It's got a badass sound. <laughs> sound, especially in the Apache. Um, it's Apache's definitely can, it's definitely rowdy. <laughs> I mean, coming from when I had my LB7 a few years back, it had the Stealth G1, you mm-hmm. know, the, the first generation. Drove really nice, made 600 horse. Um, me and Paul have driven the Scottsdale with the G2 at 640 horse and yeah. drives really nice. I mean, you, you can't take anything away from the characteristics of that turbo. What was crazy to me is, is when we went out for a drive and, you know, you have the edge monitor, you have all these things and you're, you know, blimping the throttle, blimping the throttle, the charger just coming to life, coming to life. And you think about how big the exhaust wheel and the compressor is and you try to, you compare that to an S400 or a big S300 charger, which Paul, I mean, Nick, we've all experienced in the past and there isn't anything like it. Like I've never seen something or felt something that comes in the boost as hard as it does and just carries through the the whole RPM window. Yeah. Very drivable, very responsive, really good street manners. You know, and I think it's funny how how we look at this compared to maybe how I step back and I think about like looking looking at this turbocharger development over the last few years. It was five years ago now that we first did the Cummins Turbo Shootout. Mm-hmm. And, and we asked guys to recommend us this this turbo that we knew didn't really exist, mm-hmm. right? Like the parameters we set out were what everybody wanted, but that wasn't real. Nobody had one charger that could do it. And a lot of that mentality, a lot of that learning experience, I feel like went into developing a hole in the market for the Stealth 64. Like that's yeah. originally what that LB7 was about. Everybody wanted a stock long block turbo, it, it wasn't there. There wasn't something that had that drivability. And then, obviously, as that's been out, and like you said, we've kind of really dialed in that that process and that turbo and all the little features and things like that that go into it, you start looking at, like, what are people in the market asking for now? And for me, a big one is the sled pull guys. They need more power. They still got to be stock appearing. Rules all over the country are changing mm-hmm. as far as they want just stock turbo classes up in the northwest. Mm-hmm. Um like literally no modifications to your turbochargers. And then there's a stock appearing class, but that pushed a lot of turbos into that class. Mm -hmm. And those guys are really crying for more power. But what everybody also wants is that thing that I think turbochargers most often forget, and that's drivability. Uh, So it's always interesting to hear hear me or hear you guys talk about turbos (laughs) and what we developed and what's super important to us compared to what I hear people promote turbos for and really get behind turbos on is they always want to know about peak numbers yeah um which speaking of peak numbers i think that's a perfect segue into your run on the apache 800 we just barely scratched 800 
and that's that's really pushing that thing Ooh. to the moon. I mean, that's uh, you know, you're the marketing guy. Right? <laughs> I hesitate to go out there and say, yeah, it's an 800 horse turbo. Like, yeah, it is. It will make the number. Is it necessarily designed for that? Um, it can be pushed there, right? Okay, if you're in the sled pull game, you know what it's about. The thing runs 1700 degrees. You get everything you can out of it. That's the name of the game. That's the bleeding edge, right? Like yeah. that that's where that's where we need to know that it can go to because right. we've seen that 64 on the bleeding edge and it's just not the same result. Right. You, right. you know, that extra 100 horsepower that's not 4 <laughs> feet on the track. That's not 4 inches on the track. That's a lot of track. Yeah, that's a significant yeah. number. Um, I'm glad that you touched on the turbo shootout and you touched on some of those other things. I mean that that peak number is one thing, right? That's the sexy part of turbocharging. The S300, S400, like you look at those turbos on a website and you're like, oh, fuck, man, I got to get one of those. They're so nasty. <laughs> um, but the stock frames, you know, the drivability is just, you know, we, we, we heard when we called around in the turbo shootout, we heard the sales pitch, right? It's all the same shit. It's, it spools up just like stock. It makes a million horsepower. The sound is great. It installs simply like it. And then you get it, and it's like, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Toe's great. Here's the data. Toe's better than stock. Right. Toe's better than stock. Like, it just doesn't happen, right? Mm-hmm. So there's, there is no perfect turbocharger. We learned that a long time ago. That's no surprise. Um, but there is clearly a want and a need in the marketplace for a turbo that installs easily, a turbo that makes uh, really good power on the top end, which this turbo does, a turbo that drives great, right? That's 90% of your use of the turbocharger is get in it and drive it and... I want to enjoy the driving experience. I think one of the things, too, you know, talking to a lot of guys on the phone and, you know, just like the turbo shootout, they compare all these different turbos, like, oh, 63 this, 64 that. And you have to tell these guys, like, that's just a compressor compressor measurement. That doesn't mean a whole lot. No. You have – when we talk about drivability and we talk about peak numbers and we talk about everything as a whole, yeah. it's really on the exhaust side. It's the, the matching of the exhaust is, housing and the wheel. Yeah. And the know? exhaust is – it is the, the hardest to work on. Mm-hmm. And it, you get the least credit for it in the marketplace, <laughs> yeah. right? Like people, some people are going to look at the Stell 67 LB7 and say, oh, it's just a 67. I can get a 68 or yep. 71. Like, motherfucker, <laughs> that's bullshit, first yeah. of all, all right? Uh, look at the exhaust side. Um, the exhaust side is where it's all about, you know, you can put the biggest compressor you want on something, but when you get that uh, drive pressure up at 70 pounds and you're making 40 pounds of boost, mm-hmm. the turbo is not going to make anywhere near the power that our Stell 67 does being balanced. And it's hot. And it's really the hot. The engine's working. It's, it's ass terrible off. to drive. Yep. The anti-surge probably isn't designed mm-hmm. well. So you got a, a truck that probably spools up relatively quick, then goes into surge, and then doesn't make the peak power that it's advertised. <laughs> but it sounds cool when it surges. Yeah. <laughs> you just need a bigger trans Yeah, right, right. Exactly. Right. How high to stall the converter. Right. Um <laughs> I actually saw that one today. I felt a little bad, but uh, it's a band aid. But it, but it is, and I think that's that's the point, right? Is a lot of guys. It's kind of always crazy to me what they're willing to sacrifice to get a number or to be competitive or you know just to have that turbo that they hear about that's really popular, right? Yeah. Like S three hundreds and things. Like, everybody's heard about a, a sixty six on a Duramax, right? That's like the staple. Sure, forty ninety fours, things like that that have like as we get into the VVT market have all sorts of even different implications because a lot of guys do like the idea of turbine braking. A lot of guys do like the idea of quick spooling, right? And that's what that's what veins are all about. Yeah. yeah. Um, how did that kind of play into this 67 G2 line? So that's that's a good question. The, the, the path down the 67 G2 in the variable vein market was a little bit 
longer, I would say, or more work anyway. Um, And that's because on a VVT turbocharger, there's more moving pieces. So, you know, there's a, there's a turbine out there that's commonly used 10 blade turbine, uh, you know, the power stroke turbine. Um, We know what to expect out of that turbine and it, and it fits relatively easily. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a part you can use Um, to go over and above that is the 4094 turbine, 4094 VA, which is a strong turbine. Um, in the 4094 VA turbocharger with that full Garrett design, I feel like it does a piss poor job. Um, and I'm not going to blame the turbine. I think the turbocharger itself is designed poorly. It's not designed to run drivability. It's designed to be a performance turbocharger uh, by Garrett engineers who probably didn't drive the truck enough to know well they they seem to segment it really hard mm-hmm. it's a performance turbocharger or yeah. it's a stock turbocharger yeah. there's like there's nothing in between oh I, I definitely just buy this turbocharger and park this truck don't worry it yep. it looks i mean it markets well it's a strong marketing turbocharger it's inexpensive it's all new it has big numbers on the wheels it has a reasonably decent size horsepower output potential sure but if you drive one they're terrible. Yeah. <laughs> they they really don't drive well. It's it's the spool up and it's the turbine braking. The just that, yeah. that overall control of yes. of what the whole reason that you stuck with a variable vein because right. you yeah. pulled out a stock right. turbo. You have a million options to go fix vein. Right. You can put anything you want in there. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it it is. I've heard the disappointment on the phone from guys of like, uh, yeah, I got a forty ninety four. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, like that whisper. Uh, of, it's too cheap to do the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, I understand why you did it, man. I get it. It's just you're in that spot now. Some some other sucker out there would buy one. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, you could sell it. Somebody's yeah. always looking for a used forty ninety four. Always used <laughs> ones online though too. You go on like you know different Facebook groups or Craigslist, whatever. There's always a used forty ninety four for sale. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, it's a transition charger, right? It's like I know I want more. <clears throat> but I don't know what's a great option because there's not a lot of great options. If we look around it, drivable, big horsepower VVTs, yeah. it's a pretty small category yeah. of turbos we're looking across. <clears throat> right, right. And we we did. We looked at that turbocharger and we thought, like, man, what? where did they go wrong? Yeah. Like, what did they miss here? And so we looked through that turbocharger and we, we saw a few things here and there. And it was like, man, we can... What can we salvage? What can't we? Can we really start with this part in a business model? Uh, no. <laughs> we can't start with a new 4094 because by the time we go through it and machine everything to do it right, we price ourselves out of the market. Yeah. So we had to go back and look at our cores and, and say, what can we do here to, to go over and above the 4094? Um, so that meant that meant redesigning the whole turbine side. Um, and that turbine, that turbine side read that turbine side redesign was was built around drivability, so good vein control. Um, so having the veins um, set up so that we have really good turbine braking, the ability to close the veins all the way if we want to, and the ability to fit a larger turbine than the 4094 because I can't come to market with a new turbocharger and not have it make more power than the 4094 <laughs> turbine, right? I gotta, I went, so we went with a turbine that's larger than the 4094 turbine, which meant making a custom turbine. Um so to do that, then we have to change the dowel spacing. We have to machine the the exhaust housing. So I mean, there's, for instance, on the 4094, the veins are um, 13 and a half millimeters tall. We went to a vein that's just over 15 millimeters tall. So our turbine accepts um, a, a flow direction, um, a, a flow path just over 15 millimeters tall, 16 millimeters. So there's there's more turbine there, not just by overall diameter but by uh, width on the inducer. 
Um, so, so like overall surface area yeah. is much larger. Yeah, it's the not just a little of, bit of stretch. Yeah, the ability <laughs> of the turbine to do work is greatly improved. Gotcha. Um, and then the, the unison ring, again, custom designed for our application to give us the control that we wanted. So the ability to go just to bring the vein tips right to the edge of the turbine wheel <laughs> and to bring the uh, bring the veins closed to maintain that turbine braking that all of our customers were saying, you know, all our dealers especially, like, I'm not going to sell 4094s. I'm not going to sell anything that can't get turbine braking. That is a selling point of a VVT, VVT. turbo. It's really, I mean, like I <clears throat> said yeah. before, it's the reason you want a VVT. Right? Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, you know, you're... I don't know how many times I've said the word custom in this conversation, right? But all these custom pieces cost time. They cost money. you got to make big commitments and quantity. Um, so all those things added up. You know, the easiest thing was the, t- was the compressor wheel. <laughs> it was a 67.7. You know, we uh, went to a, a quality supplier. We got a strong compressor wheel. The thing performs. It's proven. You know, what, what we did, what we spent our time on is the turbine side. It's making sure that you have the ability to lower the drive pressure when you need to, and you have the ability to raise drive pressure and run high velocity when you need to. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting to me as we talk about, like, the time and what goes into building these, right? Is I, I kind of think back through that story of, like, the 64 is done, it's on the market, we're running well, and then it's like, okay, Nick has this idea, I, I'm going to do a bigger turbo. And, like, all the guys on the sales floor were like, yeah, 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 sure you are. Okay, Or cool. how about when he was like, oh, look at the new veins. Look at the new veins yeah, when yeah, he had yeah. them. And I'm like, who gives a shit? Right. Like, like I don't this care. this is not yeah. cool. Um, but, but as we start to see it come together and as we start to talk to the guys in the shop who, like, we had on um, DJ and we had on um, Mike about doing some R&D stuff and pulling turbos off, putting turbos on – there's a long process that goes into the yeah. R&D on these. There's a big investment of time and energy on those guys' part. It's I, If you had to say, like, I had that first idea and we went out and we, like, made that first step going forward on it until now where we're actually releasing it, yeah. what does that time frame look like? Is a that year. a few months? It's a, a year. year. Yeah, I would say it's a year from inception of, like, when I sit down or you hear me spouting off in the office about like, wouldn't it be cool if, right? <laughs> Usually the next day I'm buying parts I shouldn't. Right. And then they come in and it's like, oh God, what did I get myself into? <laughs> I get, now I got to buy these other parts to make those work. And then, yeah, by the, by the end of it, I mean, we're a year before we have five or 10 test units on the shelf that we know we're going to work. Um, you know, we got that one on DJ's truck running good. Yeah, it is. Um, we got other... Uh, test units, <laughs> it's just like... Well, test units is always a funny term to me, too, because I think when guys think about buying this, it, there's no real idea of what goes into R&D. You, you, do, you can't make one turbo and mm-hmm. be like, cool, I hit the dyno number, ship, right? I Mass mean, produce. When's, yeah. when's, the la- when's the last time you developed a turbo or any product, for that matter, and you went out with the first prototype where, like... Perfect. It's ready. <laughs> Send it to market. Like, oh, God, I wish. Um, <laughs> yeah, the... That's the shitty part about the Duramax is the turbo is – it's five hours. Like if everything's anti-seized and great, right? Right. Yep. It's five hours. And it and just got installed and taken back off. Yeah, you know, it then, is. Yeah. I mean, and that happens five – I mean, you know the guys in the shop. That happens five times per turbocharger yep. yep. at least, yep. just testing whatever, you know. Um, checking it out after it's been run hard in the dyno, making sure the turbine's holding up, making sure the bearings look good, making sure that, you know, we didn't mess anything up in our SOP. Um, just Just – making sure stuff is good and, and the testing for instance right you talk about the dyno we take the turbocharger to the dyno we make the number great right even if it makes 900 horsepower you think I can go to market and say best turbo on the market 900 horsepower yep. fucking <laughs> butte man 
No, it has to drive, right? That's our whole thing at Duramax Tuners. We build parts that you put on your truck because not only do they make power, they drive well. So what does that mean? Turbo speed sensor, drive pressure, boost pressure, running in at different loads, running in different scenarios, dialing in vein maps. Um, so we can coach not only our tuners in-house, but, but tuners outside. So let's say, uh, you know, you have tunes from Corey, or let's say you have tunes from somebody else out there, right? We want to be able to tell them, here's a script, or here's what you need to do to make this turbocharger run right. And this is what, you know, this is what we can expect from it. <coughs> I think that's what's really cool is that, like, total... That total look, it's not a turbocharger, right? It's somebody's driving experience. Somebody's making an investment into their truck. They're pulling funds out of their job or their life to say, I want to make my truck feel different. I want a different experience behind the driver's seat. And so many times we've talked to guys and we've tuned trucks and we've seen them on the dynos. We're like, they're just disappointed. And, Mm -hmm. And it's always a crushing thing to be like, it's a lot of work. Like you said, it's five hours for somebody who knows what they're doing and has all of the right tools and a topside creeper in a shop with a controlled environment and right. no nagging wife and no right. no running screaming kids. Like <clears throat> and they, three other people that know what the hell they're doing right, just in right, case. Right, you know, just right. we can keep going. Right. So like it, it's it, it's always kind of exciting for me for guys to really be getting these turbos and we're and we're just starting to see the first kind of batches of them go out. Like you had mentioned, DJ yeah. uh, from the shop driving on it. It's well, everybody who gets out of his truck now is like, oh fuck yeah. Like oh, like they all have that like stupid grin and nod to each strong, other. Strong, strong running truck. I mean, considering what it is, considering the setups that he's had in the past, like definitely a strong running truck. Absolutely. So and that's what we want for our customers. You know, we want something that installs easy so when they're done it doesn't have boost leaks. Right? So that we can we can reliably say, you install this turbocharger, this is gonna be your driving experience moving mm-hmm. forward. Yeah. And that does come back to that that drop-in application. Uh, as you had mentioned, as we get into larger frames and we start to look at, like, what are the other turbo options out there, uh, there's a lot of routes you can go, yeah. but there was a lot of drawbacks that pushed us back down this path. I've run every fucking S400 <laughs> there is, man. Like, I know how cool it is. Trust me. I put an S480 on my truck with stock fuel in 2007. I mean, I, I get it, right? Like... It looks really impressive when you pop the hood, but odds are if this is your first turbo install and this is your first time like going through this, that's not going to be your last yeah. if you buy that turbo. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Uh, any other information that you wanted to let our listeners know? Um, unofficial launch, right? So if you heard this and you're like, I got to buy one, I got to have it now. Uh, there is a limited selection on the shelf. Please be patient with the sales guys. Um, there, these are sought after units. There's definitely spoken for stock out there. Yeah. Um, not an in inventory. And I know of two that have sold already. Yeah. Yep. I mean, we're doing our best to, to build a, uh, to build a stock up, but, uh, we're already playing catch up on the stealth 64 stuff. Uh, it's all, I mean, the name of the game, is is avoiding stock out so we're, yeah. we're doing our best to keep up on those and uh you know just be patient be understanding and understand we're trying to get you the best product best product experience out there awesome. that's awesome uh listeners if you are looking to follow up with duramax tuner about that of course you can reach them at 815-568-7920 or my extension 2121 Nice. Well played, Chris. Yeah, you know what? Take advantage of this situation when I can. (laughs) MP has driven both Stealth 67s and all the Stealth 64s, so, uh, you know, he can give you the... And you've driven a whole host of other turbochargers, so Uh, really... Big, big, big selection. I lose track. (laughs) 
<laughs> J- just for guys out there shopping turbochargers, like please, for the love of God, talk to someone who's driven yeah. the turbocharger you're dr- you're planning on buying. Like yep. in the truck that you're planning on buying with the same setup, hopefully, uh, you really want to know what you're getting yeah. into. This is one of the biggest pieces that affects drivability on the truck. It is the the camshaft of your small block Chevy. Yeah, that, it that's is. a fact. That's a, a fact. It's a big choice. Great reference. I love it. Listeners, thank you so much. This has been Paul Wilson. And Chris Emke. I'm Nick Pregnant. Thanks for listening. The Diesel Performance Podcast is brought to you by Calibrated Power Solutions, home of DuramaxTutor.com. Calibrated Power develops emissions-equipped calibrations for a wide variety of diesel powertrains, including the Duramax, Cummins, Power Stroke, John Deere, Case, New Holland, and many more. For more information and great customer service, check out CalibratedPower.com or call 815-568-7920. That's 815-568-7920. If you'd like to contact the podcast, send us a message through Facebook or email Paul at DuramaxTuner.com or Chris at C-E-H-M-K-E at DuramaxTuner.com. Paul and Chris may be contacted by phone. Chris's extension is 2121 and Paul's is 2122. Hey, thanks for listening. Your feedback is appreciated. Please rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and by all means, let us know if you have any ideas for podcasts. We'd welcome any suggestions. Short story long, as the guy over at the shop <laughs> likes to say, you you and Nick went and bought a box truck, a forty five hundred box truck. Okay, truck. and then you bought it from him. Yes, and you cut the box out so it was just a wooden flatbed. Like, yes, hillbilly hill rod is shit. No, classy. couldn't di- couldn't diagnose the truck to save your fucking life. Classy, <laughs> right? Nah, yeah, you did, you did. It's cool.